Fantastic. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, as politically correct as that may or may not be. Merry Christmas. And sometimes Christmas does feel rather claustrophobic. So if you, if you didn't feel like Christmas was enough in your face, there you go. I had someone this last week ask me, what do you think about Santa? Should kids be told about Santa? And let me tell you, honestly, I think every child needs to hear the story of St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, who got so upset with another bishop that he struck them across the face. Great, great Christmas story. It was actually Arius. It was at the Council of Nicaea. And Arius was denying the full divinity of Christ, for those of you that are interested in the detail. Christmas, man, it's got here quick. Anyone else feel like things are just going quicker these days? I get told that it just continues happening that way. It speeds up more and more and more. <laughs> and it slows down. Okay. Well, I, I guess it depends on what radio stations you listen to. So... One, what I would love to talk to you about this morning, funnily enough, is Christmas. And I went looking this week because, uh, because last week, uh, and we didn't have the footage edited up this morning, it'll be up on the church Facebook page later, but last week we acted out nine different pieces of the story. We started with Zachariah and Elizabeth and we finished uh, in the temple with Anna and Simeon and all these pieces in between, but I went looking for who just different pictures of the nativity which I could find. I like this one. Um, Now, question here. For anyone under the age of 20, do you even know who these two figures over here are at all? That's okay. It'll turn up at some point. Keep Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted. No, okay. How about this one? This is, this is the hipster nativity. So we can see that there's a 100% organic cow here. And we have some people on Skodas, um, apparently wise men, and they're delivering stuff from Amazon and taking a selfie. I thought that one was pretty good. This one, tell me when you notice what's going on in this picture. Yeah, they're shotgun shells, for those of you that can't quite see the detail. If I was cheeky, I'd say Merry Christmas, Quambatook style, but I won't say that. Oh, oh, that's terrible. And this one I just thought was brilliant. Isn't that great? And this, this I thought was very clever. This is... This one comes in its own kit, and this is a minimalist approach. Those of you like me who are a little bit arty from time to time. I want to talk to you about hope this morning, that we are referring back to this event, this narrative, which is two millennia old and claiming that it has something to do with the life we live today. We're referring back to something historical, but why bother referring back to it at all? I mean, the world has changed. Our own country continues to change. Beneath us, uh, depending on how many decades you've clocked up here, you would have seen extraordinary change. I know a little while ago, uh, a little while ago, a couple of years ago, we had some guests come to youth group to talk about some of the things which they had seen change. And they talked about something which we've mentioned before called a party line. Who here remembers what a party line was? Fantastic. 
For those of you that don't know, ask someone when we have morning tea what a party line is. It's It came just before mobile phones. <laughs> just before mobile phones. Just by a few decades. But the world that we live in is changing. Things changed in Flinders Street this last week. We've had more and more churches getting burnt down around the world. We have media changing all around us. The word which strikes me most about the nature of our world is that it's, it's insecure. There was a conversation I had with someone this last week about Israel and stuff that was going on in Israel, and sometimes people want to talk about that sort of stuff. And the question was, but is it safe to travel there? Is it safe to go to that kind of country? Your world is not safe. No matter where you go, it's not safe. It is not a secure world that we live in. Human beings seem to get better at hurting each other all the time. We're getting more and more expert at exploitation, at coercion, at control, at marketing, particularly around this time of year. We're surrounded on every side by people who want our money or they want your allegiance or they are sharing a really funny little thing on Facebook in order to get you to share personal information about yourself. That's why they put those little lists up saying, oh, the first letter of your name is, you know, this particular colour. Or they go, oh, you know, tag three people that you went to school with who look like this silly person in this picture. It's all aimed at getting your information. It's all called phishing. We have voices bombarding us left, right and centre that you should do or say or think or believe particular things all the time. And we're told that our lives would only be complete or perfect or meaningful if you spent your money on a particular thing. See, I believe in every person's heart there is actually a longing for meaning and significance and belonging and that is so open to exploitation now more than ever before. So when we talk about this event that happened, what I want to do this morning is in light of the insecurity of the world, talk about how solid an anchor this can be for us. That when we look at everything going on in the world, we don't have to get wrapped up in the doom and the gloom. It's so easy to sit down and to keep flicking through news articles and they link to other news articles and you end up going, oh, this world is a cesspit. It's all getting flushed down the toilet. It's terrible. Give me a box of matches and let's start again. Easy to end up in that kind of mindset where everything's wrong, everything's terrible, and we feel the weight of that pushing down on top of us. So let me tell you about the hope that we have, because that's the story which we share with Christ. That's the story that all of these interesting little vignettes that we have point back to is that there is a hope. There is something bigger and overarching going on than the damage and the mess of our world and that God invites us into his story. And because of that, we have hope. We're going to read one very short piece of scripture. It's one that I hope you know really, really well. And then we're going to talk about the hope that we have. Please turn with me to John chapter 3. There is probably a Bible sitting somewhere in a pew if you don't have one. Um, I used to say snuggle up to someone who has a Bible, but we're not doing that anymore. (laughs) Peer awkwardly across at them, maintaining appropriate physical distance. For those of you that aren't locals here, um, we've been in John's Gospel for over two years now, just going through and really going, you know, what is written here for us to know about God? 
And here in the third chapter of John, John as this educated author, he's from a sort of an upper class family. He, towards the end of his life, is recounting all the different things that he remembers about what was going on with Jesus. And John is a pastor. Everything he writes is because he wants it to take root in someone's heart and to help them. And here in chapter 3, John records this conversation that went on between Jesus and a religious leader who was supposed to be really educated, someone who becomes very significant in the Bible, a guy called Nicodemus. And in chapter 3, verse 16, John writes these words. For God so loved the world. This is the world that you and I live in, by the way, the world that's full of mess and people who want to hurt each other and things that fall apart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's who we believe Jesus is. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Close your Bible on your finger because you'll read on because it's really good. The short version is this. Is our world busted and broken? Yes. God put in place a rescue plan. Jesus claims to be the rescuer. And because of that, we have hope. Now, it is not the kind of hope which you will see at work in a casino. A number of years ago, I had the chance to go for a walk through a particular casino here in Australia. Uh, I won't tell you which one, but it's in Melbourne. And, and you see a, a kind of hope on display. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have experienced that particular kind of hope at work in your own heart. The hope associated with chance or blind luck or trusting fate or flipping a coin. Hope in Christ is not that kind of hope. It's not the roll of a dice. That kind of hope is as insecure as the rest of the world. And if, if the hope you have in your heart that you're going to make it through this life, that it's going to be okay on the other side, that there is a heaven and that you're going to make it there and that you get to be part of that, that the meaninglessness and the pointlessness of this life gets overcome. If your hope is not a hope which is firm and grounded, if your hope for that is kind of like flipping a coin or rolling a dice and going, well, I just, you know, I'm just hoping it'll work out well. I'm sorry, that's not what God has in store for you. That's not what he puts on offer. That is not the system that God puts in place. And some Christians, some people who say, you know what, I'm following Jesus, still live their life out of a roll of the dice kind of hope in Christ. There's something which is still not connected right. I hear Christians all the time talk like this, maybe not using these specific words. You know, I'm just hoping to get through life as safely as possible. Some people hope that they will be able to get through retirement and into a comfortable nursing home before their wealth runs out. I hope I have my health. I hope I keep my marbles. For some of us more recently, I hope that war or terrorism does not happen here. 
It's a flip of the coin kind of hope when we live that way. What we're really hoping in is chance or luck. Hope in Jesus is something else. Hope in Jesus is not like wishing on a star or buying a lottery ticket. The word that's used for hope in the scripture is called or translates into English more accurately as patiently waiting. That we are patiently waiting for something to happen. It means that the hope which we talk about that's attached to Jesus and this promise from him that he is God's rescuer has a much higher degree of certainty to it than tossing a coin, rolling a dice. What scripture decides is that when we come to realize that this universe is not ours, when we actually get hold of this idea that maybe Jesus is who he claims to be, what we have in the middle of all the storm of life is that we have an anchor that keeps us grounded. That's the picture of hope that we get from the scriptures. You see, if if the hope that I have in this life is something that is as easily blown about as the rest of life, something like money or hoping about a particular relationship or hoping about retirement or hoping about health, we are ultimately not in charge of those things. Rather than setting an anchor up in a storm, it would be like inflating a bunch of balloons and just hanging them out of the side of the ship and going, cool, I have an anchor in the storm now. There's a reason we don't use balloons as anchors. It's because they don't do anything. They are just as susceptible to getting moved about by the weather as the ship. You actually need something which goes outside of the storm and grounds itself, which is immovable and which you are strongly attached to. That is the picture of what it is like to have hope in Jesus. That's the picture we're working with this morning. It means that the insecurity of this world gets put in perspective. Jesus says of himself, before Abraham was, I am. And he uses this name, I am, which we find God used for himself throughout the scriptures. Jesus claims unequivocally throughout the scriptures, that's just one of about 50 different ways, to be God from God and light from light. As John records that we read out a minute ago, he is the only son of God and he is not created. That's who Jesus claims to be. Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus says of himself, all authority has been given to me to judge the living and the dead. That's who Jesus claims to be. He is not blown about by the storms of life. That is not who Jesus is. And when we understand who he claims to be, when we actually see Jesus for himself, it radically changes everything else about our life. Radically changes everything else about our life. We don't have to be afraid anymore. There are people who have gotten hold of this hope. This, this perspective about who Jesus is, who goes, you know what? If this is who Jesus is, I don't have to fear for my own safety anymore because this life is not what it's all about. There is something bigger going on here and I can put aside even protecting myself or my own comfort or my own security because I'm going to be part of something bigger which is going on and I am leaning into my anchor. We don't have to be afraid anymore. 
We don't have to try and scavenge meaning for ourselves. Many, many years ago, I went and I studied at a number of different universities and I didn't find anything satisfying because no matter what I studied, I just went, well, what's the point? It's meaningless. It's purposeless. I was reading a lot of Ecclesiastes at the time, which didn't really help. Because if you start reading Ecclesiastes, you're reading about Solomon and Solomon with this wisdom that God gives him says, you know what, everything's just meaningless. Everything's purposeless. It's just chasing after the wind. It's vanity. And you know what? If you don't have something bigger than this finite world that you are attached to, then it's really easy to get caught up thinking, what's the point? Why get out of bed this morning? Sometimes that becomes depression. If, if we're fancy and philosophical, we can call it existentialism or nihilism. Either way, it's getting hung up on the pointlessness and the purposelessness that we are presented with in this life sometimes. If our anchor is Christ, if he is who he claims to be, then the meaning of your life is actually ultimately not up to you. It's up to him. And he says you're meaningful. He says that you have a purpose, that he created you intentionally. The scriptures say, while you were knit together in your mother's womb, he had you in mind. We don't have to scavenge meaning for ourselves. We don't have to invent for ourselves definitions of what is right and what is wrong. This is one thing which I think is fascinating. For so long, philosophical and theological conversations have been pushed to the edge in Australian culture. What are the two things you are not allowed to discuss if you walk into even a pub in Australia? Religion and politics. And man, are we seeing an interplay between religion and politics at the moment. And what's extraordinary is now, today, 2017, going and trying to have a conversation with an Aussie about religion and going, you know what? Well, here is where the religious practice comes from. Here it's, here's where it's based from. Here is why we believe particular things. And there is such a huge amount of illiteracy about anything to do with religion or anything to do with spirituality or why different cultures are shaped the way they are. We have made ourselves an illiterate culture when it comes to religion. And it means then that when we as Aussies in this nation come to defining, you know what, what's right or what's wrong? Then we go, what's our basis? On what basis do we say that it's right or wrong for a person to marry five or six people at the one time? There are countries in the world that allow polygamy. There are countries in the world that allow adults to marry children. On what basis do we say something is right or wrong? If we have no anchor outside of our culture, outside of whatever the popular fad is that's going on, how can we possibly make a decision? And again, this is kind of like the perfect storm going on in Australia at the moment. Christ is our anchor. Christ is our hope. And he becomes the basis for what we do or believe or think. He becomes our unshakable anchor in an insecure world. And it's not chance And it's not luck. So what do we do with this? If this is actually true, if this is actually what's going on, what do we do with this? I think the first thing we need to do is actually go, you know what? How do I be honest with myself and assess where my hope is? What have I actually been hoping in? Have I been trusting 
that the way my life plays out is because I've stacked up enough money in a bank account or I've stacked up enough investments or I've stacked up enough health or I've stacked up enough positive regard with other people that even when things go really, really wrong, I can go and and sort of cash in with those people. What is it that we have actually put our hope in? Have we put our hope in our own two hands? You know, when something goes wrong, I'm able to work my way out of it. I will look after me. Or you know what, if everything goes wrong, I'm hoping that I've done enough good in my life to outweigh the bad. These are not the way that God says it works. If we think that at the end of the day, we're going to be able to stand before God when everything else of life passes away and go, well, God, have a look at all the stuff which I've done. It's like gambling all of your life and all of eternity on heads turning up when there's, coin, when there's tails on both sides of the coin. It's like gambling all of your life and all of eternity on heads turning up when there's tails on both sides of the coin. It is not the way that God has put in place for us to actually have eternity with God. What God has put in place is really simple. And if you haven't heard it, let me tell you, really, really simple. Point number one, God created everything perfect. Everything was made perfect by God. And then point number two, which follows pretty obviously, everything broke. The Bible tells a simple story that humanity rejected God as God and that humanity said, I'm going to be God. And when that happened, death enters into existence. Decay enters into existence. The, the world and the universe and the cosmos we inhabit begins to fall apart. Our bodies fall apart. I didn't pick bad eyesight. I didn't pick a faulty appendix and terrible wisdom teeth. Maybe you didn't pick cancer. Maybe you didn't pick a landslide or an earthquake or a bushfire. The world we live in is busted and broken. And the promise of God is that one day he's going to make it new again. But he says that he will send his son to radically change the relationship between God and human beings. And that's who we believe Jesus is. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the saviour. Jesus is the anchor. And it's no use having an anchor without having a chain. We can have cognitive assent going on in our heads to go, yep, I understand who Jesus is. I understand that Jesus says he's the son of God. You know what? Maybe I even believe that he is the son of God. Great. We can put that in a box and tie it with a ribbon and sit it on a shelf in the back of your mind. If we don't do something with that, if we don't actually look at the way that we ourselves are connected to Jesus who is alive right now, then there's every opportunity that when we stand before God, we will say, aha, cool, I'm here. And he will say, I have never known you. He talks about that, Matthew chapter 7. Go look it up. It's really, really scary. It is possible for a person to know all about Jesus and all about God's rescue plan and all about the perfection of who he is and what he does and still not actually have a one-on-one personal encounter and walking, talking relationship with him. And there is nothing that Jesus wants more than for us to walk and talk with him. 
The scriptures say that if you give your life to Jesus and you become in him and he becomes in you, his spirit comes and lives inside of you and regenerates you. It recreates you. It causes you to be a new thing that the world has never seen before and that God will speak directly into your heart and that he will make the words of this leap off the page and make sense to you in a way that they never could before. The promise is that he will transform your life so that no matter what goes wrong in the world, no matter sickness, no matter natural disasters, no matter broken relationships, no matter losing everything you have, that if Jesus is what you are attached to, then you still get Jesus when everything else falls apart because the future belongs to him anyway. The future is already his. That's the hope. That's the anchor. So how attached to Jesus are you this morning? I wanted to have a picture of Tom Cruise up here, but I thought that might put everyone off. It's Christmas. Um, and you see, I can know all about Tom Cruise. I can find all of, all of the measurements for the suits that he wears, which are quite small and I wouldn't fit into. I could find out the movies that he's been in. I could find out the people that he's upset, the, the marriages that he's had, all, all those different things. I can find all those facts about him. But if I bump into him in the street and I go, hey, Tom, he will probably get his security guards to do something to me. There's a difference between knowing about the person and knowing the person. So how are we going when we take stock? See, maybe this has been in your head for a while already. Maybe you've been chewing on this for days or weeks or months or years. Maybe it's already sunk in for you how pointless this life can be. Often when our work gets paused and we have some time just to sit. Often when people get hospitalized, actually, and they have nothing else to do except watch Oprah, they sit. <laughs> That's terrible. I've never met her. Maybe she's great. But when people have the space to sit and the whole world around them goes silent, the point and the meaning of life actually comes into clarity. It comes into focus and we can assess something that's actually going on. Maybe you've had that moment happen. Maybe you've realized what it's like just to live life rushing from one meaningless thing to the next or one purposeless day to the next purposeless day. Maybe you have already had that going on. Maybe this is a new thing for you. Maybe you've only just heard this story or maybe you've only started to actually chew through what it is that Christians believe. Maybe something has happened to bring the sharp reality of life and death into view. Maybe it's only just occurred to you that Jesus puts all of eternity into perspective. I want you to do something this Christmas, and I don't want you to do it for me, and I don't want you to do it for anyone else. I want you to do this for yourself this Christmas. I want you to think. I want you to to think, to take everything that you understand about who Jesus is and who he claims to be, and I want you to think. And then very simply, I want you to actually make a decision to decide something about who Jesus is in your life. And I don't want you to decide it because it's up to me. I don't want you to decide it to try and impress anyone else. 
I don't want you to decide something because it's fashionable or your friends decide to do it or because you feel coerced. I want you to make a decision about who Jesus is for yourself. And I don't need to know what your decision is because it's not up to me. This is between you and God. But whatever you decide, you need to own it. Because whatever you believe about Jesus will shape your life and it will shape your values. It will shape how you budget your money and your time and your energy. It will shape your future. It will shape your family and your friendships and your work environment. I was once told that the hardest thing to do is to actually think. If you're sitting here this morning, if you go, you know what, I'm not convinced. And maybe there's some people in the room who are in that space. I am not convinced. Don't stop thinking. If you do not believe what Jesus says about himself, then decide today to not stop asking questions. Because let me tell you, the stakes are too high. If he is who he claims to be, then eternity is at stake here. So don't file your questions. Bring your questions. If Jesus really is the Son of God, if he is truly God from God and light from light, then his sufficiency is going to exceed and fill and overtake your questions. I know some people have told stories about growing up in and around church environments where questions were a no-no. No, we don't ask that. Bring your questions. If Jesus is really the Son of God, then he is bigger than your questions. His beauty and his goodness will exceed your expectations. And who he is, his very nature, is going to be bigger than your capacity to grasp him. If God is truly infinite and infinitely good and beautiful and loving, then we are going to run out of brain power before we get to the edge of who God is. So bring your very best questions and Jesus will stand up to all scrutiny. Be prepared for it to shape your life. Whatever you choose this morning, whatever you choose this week, Jesus will shape your hope and what you do with the insecurity of this world. I love this story in John's gospel where Jesus sends his disciples on ahead. This is not a photo, by the way. This is a painting. They didn't have cameras. And that's, that would be an awesome shot, though. It would. I don't know how they would have set that up. But Jesus sends his disciples on ahead, and then Jesus says, I'll catch up with you. And then while they are out in the middle of the sea, Jesus comes walking on the water to them in between the waves. That creation recognizes the creator and it does what it's told. Jesus is our anchor. And I pray this Christmas that you will unwrap somehow such an anchor for your life and for your hope. My prayer for you this Christmas is that your hope would be so big that it can't fit under a tree or in a stocking. I pray that you will have hope bigger than a horoscope column, bigger than the voice of media or the home shopping channels. 
and that your hope in such an insecure world as this will not rest on chance or luck or the flip of a coin. God has already put forward what he thinks. There is a hope which cannot rust or fade or be exhausted or stolen or leave. But the choice is yours as to what to do with it. So to those of you that do not have hope this morning in Jesus Christ, I advocate that you investigate Jesus. I really do. And I believe that there is no person in all of history that when we begin to figure out who they are, that can have such a profound transformative effect on all the stuff of life. May Jesus show himself to you. May he visit you in dreams and visions. May he give you understanding and illuminate his words to you. And I pray even if you are not convinced of who Jesus is, that you would know his love and you would know his rest. And to those of us this morning who have put their hope in Christ, let me say to you this morning something that I feel like I say to you all the time. Go and be salt and light in this town and in this district. Go and love everyone you come across with the same love that Jesus has given to you. Love your enemies because when you were an enemy of Christ, he loved you and he laid his life down for you. If Jesus is in you, go and feed the hungry, especially those who are hungry for belonging. Clothe those who are needy and sit with those who are trapped by life. We have a reputation that we need to restore in our country about followers of Christ. We need to be people who walk in humility, people who make peace wherever they go and people who speak truth. So go and give this love of Christ freely in the same way that it's been given to you without measure. This morning, I I urge you, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.